Welcome to Taking Back Our Corner is the officially unofficial podcast for We Own the City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season one, episode three, or I don't know, episode three. I keep calling it season one. Uh, Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, I continue to like it. I think this is a cool, this is a an interesting way to tell the story. Um, everything is so disconnected, but interconnected. And, mm-hmm. um, like, I, I wonder if people at home who are maybe not paying as close attention to like the flow of time is getting the full benefit of it, but because I'm doing a podcast on it, I'm trying to pay attention. Uh, I, I think it's working really well. It's showing that it's a multi-year process, you know, like, uh, we didn't get the Wayne Jenkins final form at the end of last uh, episode. There's still like, you know, more he had to, to, to learn and, and, uh, fall, interesting dynamics between the, the different cops on the force. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it. Uh, what did you think? This show mostly just makes me mad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, and I look at it and I go, boy, if I'm getting mad, how infuriating must it be for the people who actually have power and want to change this, but can't, can't get the job done, whether it's the, fucking musical chairs that they're playing with uh, the political and law enforcement uh, officials here or you know just the, the entrenchment of the whole system it's like ah ah like where do you start how do you attack this problem and I I don't know I come away from these episodes going man this seems bleak and it seems impossible um, and it's just like it's down to the complexity of the problem, right? Because it's not as just as easy as like, oh, you flip a switch, you flip the keys to a new commissioner and suddenly they're going to turn everything on its head and you're going to get a great police force and awesome communities and all that. It's like every piece of this, this is the thing that's so impressive to me about this show and the type of stories that David Simon tells is you see all the different individual gears in this machine that make up this big system and they're all interlocked, Right. And every gear points down the line and says, well, that's the gear there that's the problem. That's the one grinding, like, connected to the bulldozer's uh, actual device that's grinding this community into the dirt. It's not me. It's not me. Yeah, I'm part of the system, but, you know, I'm just one gear in this big system. And it it just seems like the machine continues running because with, like, all these gears are working on their own piece of the puzzle and it's all under the guys are like i'm just doing my job and then that ends up perpetuating the grander system of just bullshit it's crazy to me and and you get to see it through the lens of every piece of it and just starts to come into context yeah and and um it, not only is, is every piece of the wheel and the, the the system pointing at each other, it's like also you got to question like who is actually approaching this in good faith. Like, is the commissioner right. the in union. good faith? Yeah, is the, the union, union like like? I mean, I got my own opinions on who is obviously just uh, passing the buck down the the road and who is you know would like to change, but oh gee whiz, but sure. but also like you know even even a guy like Davis who I think like even like you know Nicole's here like is trying to judge whether he's sincere not really sure Uh um at some point what do you do the bold thing and just like well i'm gonna start i'm just gonna fire these cops because yeah that might get the rank and file all riled up but you know who it might inspire the good cops 
Yeah, like, yeah the oh, guys shit, sitting at the desks we... right now who won't go out on the street because they couldn't put up with the bullshit they saw yeah or the ones are trying to do good work and haven't been beat down quite yet like what if you uh-huh. would you know the, the new guys coming in the recruits that uh you know you've you've taught how to do good police work before they get ruined by the uh you know being assigned on citywide or whatnot like i don't understand I, i'm hoping they get into and i i there's there's something i'm going to share along the way that might give a little bit of insight into that from the the quote-unquote rake and file but I don't understand, like, when these commissioners, like, what do they got to lose? Um, is it really so bad that the entire force would just walk off the job if you started holding a few of these accountable? It doesn't seem like it because mm-hmm. there have been some pretty high for profile convictions. I understand that this show is going to end in some high profile convictions of uh, officers. And why doesn't that become a snowball, like a virtuous cycle rather than the vicious circle that they're in? Um yeah. I don't cut out I don't cancer know. to save the patient, right? That kind of thing. Right, right. Because they always say it's a few bad apples, right? Well, if that's in, and, and maybe it's even it's even like um like a big majority that are sympathetic to those bad uh, apples. But surely, if if you take out the bad apples and the rest of the bunch just walks off the job, then then did you have good apples in the first place? <laughs> right. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of. Uh, pressure from expectations too. like a lot of people want right. this problem solved and they want to pro- solve now, which is understandable. They're living in very bad conditions there. Um, yeah. But this is a problem that takes longer than six months of a police commissioner's cycle <laughs> to fix. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Fixing this is a multi-decade process because it was a multi-decade process to get into this situation. So right. you're not just going to have an easy fix. And I think people, get angry when that fix like that you bring on a new police commissioner and he can't fix it right away. Right. And so they, they, they vote out the people who put him in power and the people who, you know, are unable to make the change, hoping the next person will be better. And it can't be, it can't be. Yeah. It, uh, it's a sad, sorry situation. And maybe we can pivot to talking about the podcast now too, because it's interesting, you know, this, this thing, um, hosted by D Watkins, you get to see D, uh, in this episode playing himself and he's interviewing Pelicanos and Simon uh, little moose uh, gets a, yeah, about 15 yeah, minutes talking about his, yeah. his run-ins with Herschel and uh, the actor plays Hersh- Herschel uh, Josh Charles is interviewed and, you know, like Bern- Bernthal, he went, you know, got put on a bulletproof vest and went out on these raids with guys to kind of see what it's like. And, the question of keeps coming up of like, well, how do you fix this? And almost to a man, everyone says, damned if we know. Yeah. Like there's the, you could try yeah. this, you could try that, you could try this. But like what, what I think that uh, little moose actually said, it's like the one thing I know you can't do is you can't just keep fun. You can't just say like, well, you just got to hire any more cops. You got to give them more money. You got to give them more uh, bulletproof vests. So they feel safer. You got to give them more. Yeah. Uh, like I, I felt personally attacked by David Simon. Cause I was like, I like, why can't everyone have body cameras? And I noticed the majority of the gun trace task force in this episode are wearing body cameras and is not doing shit because the system that would be uh, hypothetically overseeing this process and actually looking at the footage is corrupt and inept and inefficient. So it's like, that's not the silver bullet solution. You'd think it is. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's uh, I, I, yeah, it's one of those things where, what do you do? What do you say? Uh, what is this? I, and, and I don't, I think you're right. It's not a silver bullet solution. You need somebody 
that can withstand a few political cycles that can play hard nose and call people's bluffs and establish that. Cause I think if you did, if you start to establish that uh, culture of accountability mm-hmm. that the officers and that I want to believe are the majority will uh, take note. And then the other kind of like the silent majority in the middle are kind of like, well, I guess the winds of change are blowing this way. I don't want to lose my job that everyone goes along, but What's clear, and, and they, they make this uh, in the po- the point in the podcast, D. Witt Watkins talks about, um, you know, this is talking about last week's show, but he's talking about that mayor that was chasing the governorship and he was at his eye on a presidency. And he said his key to it was getting Baltimore's murder rate under 200. That would be a miracle. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know how to do police work. He didn't know how to hold any of these people accountable, which is why it was just like get people off the streets is crazy fucking theory. And this thing persisted. This policy persisted for years. And according to Simon and Pelicanos, just ruined the police department of Baltimore, even worse than the like the lazy war on drugs kind of ruined them before. It's like you don't even have to do like rip and roll uh, sting, minor sting. You just have to get people off the streets, something to get the fuck off the streets, arrest everyone on this block. And what started as like a shit police uh, just just kept on getting worse. There's this great scene, and I think there's one like it in the. Uh, it, what what I noticed is that there's one like it in the wire too, where uh, there's like one of those quote unquote old heads, you know, who's sitting at the desk and he's been on the force for almost thirty years, and he's talking about the good old days when things weren't this fucked up. And if you think about it, he's talking about the wire era of policing when he's talking about the good old <laughs> uh-huh. days when things weren't fucked up. And you think back about the scenes in a wire where like Lester uh, is talking about back in his day when things weren't fucked up, when people it was all about policing. Mm-hmm. You just really like this is a multi-generational fucked up situation where people that came in the middle of it thought that was good policing. And I think that's an intentional yeah. point to show that like. You talk about wanting the quick fix. If something took 30 years to fuck up, how are you going to fix it in six months? Right. Yeah. And it's, there it's will an be unreasonable expectation. And then, you know, people make choices based on those unreasonable expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you do have to fire, I don't know, 20% of your police force, what does that look back? Taking, you know, two steps back, like in terms of murder rate, in terms of convictions to, to get that three steps forward. Um, and is any modern merit uh, uh, metropolitan uh, police or uh, department, or I guess metropolitan city, willing to take those steps back? I don't know. Uh, and is the public willing to give them the latitude to do that too? Right? Like, right. I mean, that's, that's some of it is like uh, mea culpa for the people who live there and vote for their politicians. Like, you can't expect to fix a problem if you don't give someone a chance to actually fix it—a reasonable chance. And if you're trying to yeah. vote people out all the time because they haven't fixed the problem within their uh, small window of opportunity, you, you might not ever get there. Yeah, I do think that uh, the one um, that maybe we're over policed. It seems paradoxical, but like it is, it's it's proven statistically that, uh, you know, police identify a high crime area, flood officers to it. And surprise, surprise, they find ever more crime. Oh, my God, the crime's even worse than they thought. Put more cops in there. Um, but yeah, like I think of like there's a time this was like in the early 2000s, I think. Do you remember when the whole Atlantic seaboard lost power? Like uh-huh. all of New York, yeah. all of Philadelphia, all of Boston, all up into Atlanta. It just like lost lost power in the dead of night. And people like, oh, my God, it's going to be an apocalypse. And like the biggest surprise was nothing really fucking happened. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. I, I do wonder, like, if some of these police departments would be would do well to just like call like, hey, we're going to take the worst offenders or we're just going to we're just going to summarily dismiss them. And the union can fucking bitch about it. And if you guys want to uh, uh, engage in a work stoppage and we're start firing people to die and like replace them with. I, I, I don't know, because like huh, this is where like I'm at a war with myself, because I also believe in the, the, the power of unions and, and having representation for labor and, and blue collar workers. But my God, there's yeah. there's a problem with public unions, it seems, and essentially public unions that carry guns. That is a real sticky wicket to to try to fix. Uh, yeah, for sure. I do. Like I said, I I I, I hope that uh, Simon and Pelicanos maybe can point to some better ways. But you know, in this, when we're talking about the, you know, they they have these interviews with some community leaders and some thought leaders, and they're kind of like, well, you can't clean the floors with dirty water. Mm-hmm. Can't even put out fires with it. But what can you do? Uh, I I wonder if they will have something. Uh, some thesis for us yeah we'll see shall we get started breaking down this episode all Mm -hmm. right uh as is per usual we're going to thread these by topic we're going to start with the federal investigators uh this week the fbi investigation into the corruption of baltimore uh we in the our two investigators uh jenkins and uh i forget this guy's name uh i'll i'll get to it later in the the notes Uh, are talking to a judge and he's like you want to wiretap a police officer's phone do you understand the shitstorm this is going to cause do you have any idea how far up in the chain of command and they're like well we got a police officer on a wire that we didn't tap his phones he's just literally talking to a criminal about criminal shit what do you want us to do and the judge uh not reluctantly just promises cooperation um Mm -hmm. do you know why they've introduced the concept of this FBI agent being a flautist who flouts. I I do not other than to show just like the monotony and drudgery of, uh, waiting on phone calls to come through from a wiretap. <laughs> Is there like, um, a, a, t- a statement on the type of police you want working these things, like the type of person, um, because they made it in the official podcast. They talked about Herschel, he was a college or no, not college, excuse me, high school dropout, does not have a high school degree, did not qualify for the standards of the Baltimore Police Department, had to go to a rural county and get like his, you know, five years of seniority that they count as work experience to get. And and you look at these guys, uh, their humor's not super highbrow, uh, their social interactions pretty primitive, and they're deliberately contrasting it with the person playing the flute. Yes. As like maybe <laughs> the different, qual- uh, I, 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 I don't know. But then you look at Detective Souter, Souter, it seems like he is perfectly capable of being one of the boys, having fun, kicking back a brew, uh, hanging out at the bars. And he's one of Baltimore's finest. Yeah. I don't to make it. I mean, the, the FBI, right? Because that's the, the, isn't that the other part of this? Like she's part of the FBI, right? Right, right. Um, whereas the the other people are part of the the BPD or the surrounding county uh, police departments. I, yeah, I, I'm sure they're saying something about that. I I don't think that universally applies. Certainly, I think there are people who are just as uh, I don't know, accomplished and intelligent and everything in the BPD as there are in the FBI. But yes, they're certainly doing something with that in this show. 
I do think that like famously the FBI f- recruits differently. Like they're not sure. looking for high school dropouts. You know, they're looking for people of exceptional, you know, moral character. Um, and then they also um, the detective, uh, the, the FBI that's that they pulled off of Baltimore to work with them. Uh, there's a little um, scene between, you know, the flutist and him where the flautist where he's like eating McDonald's on his his the roof of his, his truck. And, you know, she calls him from the flute from flute headquarters and asks him where he's at. He goes, oh, I'm at the prime rib having having steak au poivet or whatever making. I, I think he's kind of poking fun at the fact that she's higher class than him. But, yeah, he's perfectly hmm. capable of doing pretty astute paper uh you know police work so i i, I don't course, th- yeah. I, I don't i don't think simon's saying like you need some arist- aristocracy <laughs> right. in your policing but maybe a a, a, a higher a maybe a higher caliber and i'm not saying that if you're a high school dropout you've got low character mm-hmm. uh i'm saying that this herschel guy seems like he's a low character kind of guy yeah that wouldn't make it through the fbi uh initiation process or the hiring process uh, so they're doing a bunch of different, um, surveillance, uh, on Gondo. It's interesting. I also thought that she shuts down a call as non-pertinent because, uh, she's just, you know, like, oh, he's just getting his balls busted by his girlfriend when actually that was a highly pertinent phone call that he's having, uh, in the, in, in the middle of this, uh, with the Sergeant Allers we're going to get to here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of reinforces what they said last episode of like, you know, the criminals have to get lucky or have to be perfect all the time. We just have to get lucky once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, but they get this phone call where Gondo is getting a tip. This is I, I'm guessing that what they're saying here is he's getting um, Shropshire is feeding him information for mm-hmm. people who are like he's just giving people up in, in exchange for immunity or like directing him against rival people. But he's getting yeah. this very specific tip. What is what is the legality of that? Because I was looking at this like this stop. They got this guy, this white guy pulled over and they're pressing him for a gun. And I'm like, well, if you're getting a tip that a guy's got a gun, it's a legal gun. It's involved. It's like there's nothing wrong with this other than them going in this guy's pockets. Right. Or. Yeah. Yeah. Is there some kind of process of criminal informing that you can't just like somebody off the street just can't be like, yo, this guy's got a gun and you pull him over for no other probable cause? Right. I think that's probably the most egregious part is the initial stop. It's probably like, you know, they probably did the thing where they wait for him to like come to a slow roll instead of a full stop at a sign and then pull him over for that. And that's the reason they they got him Uh, or, you know, the license plate thing. I'll kick it after the Seems fact. Like he's making uh, shit up on that one guy because he said like my yeah. license is legit, my tags are legit. This is just uh, horseshit. Yeah. And they're doing the obvious good cop, bad cop thing on him, and just totally violating his Fourth Amendment rights. I'm like, he he lets them though, right? Like that's the thing. It's always like, ah, oh, well, the cops are gonna. If the guy says no, you can't search my house. They can't search his house. And if they do search his house and they find a gun, it ain't going to hold up in court because they violated his Fourth Amendment rights. But the guy lets him because he's got nothing to hide. Turns yeah. out he does have something to hide. And then they pressure God, him into it. Is. So, like, mm. it, you know, it's it's a, it's murky around the edges. I wonder there. if they'll show a guy doing things right. Because I feel like with this right. gun t- trace task force, like if you did the whole shut the fuck up, uh, am I being detained? 
no one does it perfectly. There's this ebony woman that we'll talk to in uh, Detective Suter's line that almost does it. Uh-huh. Um, but like, I wonder, like, because like, I feel like at some point, Herschel's just going to grab you, pull you out of your car, slap, punch you in the face, sit you down, and ransack your car. And if they've got uh-huh. a criminal who's told you, told them this guy's got a gun, unless he's wrong. And if he is wrong, like that's the other thing. This pod, the official podcast, these settlements, like a guy got his jaw broke and teeth knocked out by her, uh, by Herschel and got 49 and like a completely bullshit arrest with no probable cause, no nothing. The city settlement is 49,000. When they're talking about the cash settlements, this guys are doing like, yeah, that is for getting your jaw broken, teeth knocked out by an officer. I feel like that was pretty. So I was like, even if they're wrong, they cost the city $50,000. And what the fuck do they care? Right. Right. Yeah. They're going to be protected all the way up. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, it's. I don't know what the legality is around like taking a tip from. I mean, there's certainly murky ethical considerations, right? Like taking tips from the dealers is one thing. If you're not actively willing to take handouts from them or take like money off of the people that you arrest or something, mm-hmm. if you're not benefiting from it personally, if you're just trying to do good cop work, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But once you, yeah, reach your hands into their pockets and like every tip that comes through from Shropshire ends up being 10 grand in your pocket. Yeah. Right. That's totally unethical. Totally. Oh, a hundred percent. Maybe I said, I wonder if there's an official, like you have to be registered as a criminal informant because like what would cop stop a cop from doing the thing where they just get cozy with the criminal and like, Hey, I'm going to feed you enough cases on my rivals to make you look good. You look the other way. You agree. Like it's, <laughs> right? it's like, there's gotta be some kind of system where just, you know, but, and clearly they're not following it. Uh, so the FBI, they send the, the, their boy down there to, to get eyes on his name's Sarecki. Um, yeah. and uh, he sees everything. He's got eyes on everything. Uh, they get, uh, a recording from the detention center of the guy talking to his girlfriend and, and finding out that they stole all the money that's on him. Uh, so this is kind of like the seed that they're going to build this case on. And it turns out. Um, they get they start looking at all the different victims because they're starting to say like you know if we're going to bring this to trial we're going to need the victims to testify to the fact they got their money stolen and they get to this Davon Robinson which we're going to get into this Wooda guy and they want to find this like you know he's not in jail he's not in this I wonder where he's at they go to his house and he's been killed uh, and there's a lot of somber faces and, and, and glum looks in this room. We're going to get to how this uh, all plays out in the next vignette. Do you have anything else to say about the federal investigation? Because I want to talk about this Sergeant Allers that's getting investigated. Yeah, let's talk about Allers. He's interesting. The guy in the Adidas tracksuit dressing like mm-hmm. Russian mafia. <laughs> okay, or Beastie Boys. Yeah, circa. Or Beastie, yeah. He's got the Beastie Boys looking. Uh, he... Uh, his lawyer, they, they open up the, the the show with his lawyer in an interrogation room and he's talking about the stakes like, you know, look, uh, Tom, you are currently tasked to a federal agency, the DEA. You were the supervisor of these men. You handpicked them. You got you built this unit man by man. And they flash back to uh, six months earlier, January 2016. Herschel getting called in saying like, what is this about this uh, rap song business? And this plays out a couple of times in this episode, but they do this thing. It's like, Oh, you got a lot of complaints. We're going to have to pull you off the street. And he thinks he's going to be turned into a house cat. 
no, he's going to get promoted citywide onto the gun right. trace task force. And uh, it just shows it like that. This is literally this guy. It seems like he was handpicking guys yeah. that would go along with his system and not 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 buck any of the trends he's trying to set up. Yeah. And then he I don't know. He's he's got a very strange attitude because he's stealing money from everybody. But he also like comes across as a little naive later in the episode when they're like showing him, you know, the the video footage or whatever. Or, or we see like the footage of that would a guy getting killed because uh, Allers took ten thousand dollars off of him. And that's money he needed to pay off the guys that he got his drugs from. Like, right. Have you really never considered the consequences of your actions? Never, not even once up to this point. Uh, this is this is an incident, but you have to think on a daily basis. He was causing these types of ramifications to ripple through people's lives, and he just never even thought about it. Never even considered it. Yeah, I wonder because like it's they they make this point too that the war on drugs you know justifies a lot of bullshit because you hear. Um, you know, Gondo pushing back to his girlfriends. Like, you understand what it's like here. We're in a war in the streets. We're doing this. We're doing that. Mm-hmm. Is it just that he really didn't consider like, I like, okay, the worst you're going to get me in is I'm stealing. So what? I'm getting paid what I'm worth. Cause I'm out here. I'm doing my job. I'm getting bad guys off the street. I'm getting drugs off the street. I'm getting guns off the street. Um, I, I wonder if they really are that myopic. Cause like the thing is Herschel doesn't strike me as a smart man. He strikes no. me as a thug, as, as yeah. like in, in the true sense of the word, like a, a goon. Yeah, that, that thing in the intro when they say these cops are 1930s gangsters. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what they strike me as. Just Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, but the sheer amount of backslapping in this scene where like they're like, you know, treating uh, Herschel as like almost like a uh, like a made like a made man who just made his first bones. Yeah. You know, like you finally, you finally, you finally fucked enough citizens that we're going to promote you to the big leagues. Uh, I keep expecting scenes like this to turn into "I think you should leave" skits because Herschel <laughs> looks so much like Tim Robinson. He does. He really <laughs> like, does. Now that you're mentioning it, oh yeah, shit! This might have I'm waiting for someone for to like t- tell for him to tell somebody that he like shit real big and he does he says how big he shits never mind it is it's just that yeah i don't i don't want to be around here anymore yeah uh that's i was gonna say like these these um this reminds me of hank and gomi in the breaking bad where like these guys just have the 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 shittiest sense of humor and i okay you know obviously i I put it out on bald move i i'm not above this type of humor well, it's all antagonistic. F- yeah, that, that's what I don't like about it is it's busting balls every second of every day. And that's never be no just, respite. Like, I no. want like, do these people really like each other? Hard to say. Hard to say. They like that each other uh, are willing to go along with the shit that they're pulling. I think that's the thing that's tying them together more than anything. And whether they actually like each other, I don't know. I'll tell you this much: what's they they their their code of silence ain't shit compared to gang real gangsters. Like just judging from what I saw sure. on the wire and what I've heard, like they like start singing on each other immediately. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I I wondered like, did these guys ever like each other? Um, it's it, like it, it. What what is 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 that part of the culture too? That like you know this is just like just 
high school jock level of mentality on everything like threats your masculinity like if you call someone the other f slur or the other f word like it's just fucking going to be go time i i i, I don't know um yeah. anyway uh they also show them getting this uh, phone call and they got this Davon Robinson p- uh, pressed up. They play this shitty game of good cop, bad cop, and it works on this guy. He's like, you know, if you just kind of help us out, uh, uh, we're going to take care of you. And he goes from a traffic stop where the cops have nothing. I do really wonder if he'd just been like, you know, fuck it, book me, whatever. Right. Uh, you take me there. You got nothing. I'll get out the night. I'll the sign next the waiver. Night before. Yeah, I'll be out tonight. And, right. Um. I wonder what would have happened or were they just gone and gotten a warrant and kicked his door. But like what that did happen is he lets him go back to his house. Um, there's this horrified. I, this the other thing like Hersel, um, What's your name? Little girl. Like it's this perform. It's like cruelty, but performative nice guy. And I, I also wondered that's like, yeah, when you hear these cops get this legend uh, leveled, these accusations of these being racist police. I don't think that the cops recognize themselves in that because Herschel rides sure. around half of his crew is black uh-huh. and they're talking like they're equals. And there's, you know, they're using racially charged language and making jokes and they're above all that shit. Um, it's like corrupt cops or bad cops. And then maybe I, I think, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of racism in there, too. But I, I don't think that that charge like wounds the cops like people think they, that it does because they, they sure. don't recognize it in themselves. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, the thing that got me on this is is they are. It feels like they're tossing this guy's house just to find his cash, right? Like, yeah, they yeah. might find a gun and Shropshire called it in, so it's doing him a favor. But they're there to find the cash because that's what everybody's concerned with, right? Like, they find the gun, they're like, "All right, we got a gun to take in or two guns." But then the thing that everybody's asking about afterward, like, what should I write down? for cash yeah. you know is was there cash in that place and you talked about uh how quick they are to to sing when it comes time to pay the piper right uh but but they make this clear when he's stealing money from his own guys by saying yeah there was zero dollars in that house uh legit zero dollars there's no honor among thieves here right like this it, how, how could there be you expect a guy who's willing to do everything that i've seen Hersel and allers do in this show to then always split fair and equitably between his dudes, the the cash that he pulls? No, no. That's like the Sopranos, where it's like uh, everyone's complaining about how every everyone's in everyone's pockets, and it seems like it's the that's yeah, the, the, it's that's the, the, the problem with legal enterprise. There are no rules. It's all <laughs> right. it's pure Darwinism. What you can get away with, what you can get away without being caught. Yeah, none of these people uh, have any strong ethics. Why would you think that? they would apply ethics to you and how they treat you right. as a partner. Uh, like I said, there's a I- irony here that you'll find out later that the FBI is listening to this conversation they're having in the fast food car and mark it as irrelevant because they just, they just don't know enough to, to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then they have him in the, you know, the, the final scene with this guy, he's in with his lawyer and the lawyer is putting this, uh, you know, this guy's gotten a lot of drugs off the street, a lot of bad guys off the street, a lot of guns off the street. He's a decorated police officer, a real hero cop. And uh, they then drop on the fact is Devon Robinson. They show that flashback that the 10,000 that he stole from him got this man killed. Yeah. 
Um, and this is the scene and, where, like, I feel he's contemplating the consequences of his actions for the very first time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's a look on his face that, to me, says, this is a revelation to him. I think it is like it, it, it's uh, tracks with Herschel too, or not Herschel, uh, Wayne Jenkins when he gets pulled in, like he just can't fucking believe it. Yeah, uh, and we'll see. If a, my, this all isn't a microcosm. This this is yeah. like all like like rhyming lyrical structure to this thing. Yeah, that that Wayne Jenkins scene is the standout scene to me in this episode. So I'm itching to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, and I think that there's uh, the other thing is like you know you can think what you want about drug dealers and the state of drugs in America. I got my opinions, but like the fact of the matter is. The penalty for dealing drugs is not death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this guy, like, you know, a lot of I think people say, well, he got what he had coming. Uh, no, not 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 fucking really. Um, I want to mo- next move to uh, the Department of Justice criminal uh, or civil rights lawyer, Nicole Steele. Her continued like this is the us her holding the audience's hand as she goes through all levels of Baltimore. We start with Commissioner Davis. Um what do you think of this scene where, you know, he's kind of trying to plead his case? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel for him. Cause this is the guy that I look at and say, I think he does want to try to make the best of a bad situation here and fix the problems of Baltimore. But boy, the more I look at the interlocking gears I talked about earlier, the more it feels like his hands are tied. And this is, this is an example of that. Because what if he rides out hard against the cops and gets this these reforms going? The new mayor comes in and wants to ingratiate herself with the police force, so she starts saying, "You know, this uh, commissioner, sure. uh, he's uh, he's 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 handcuffing our officers, and the officers be handcuffing the criminals, and we need to get he's out of a job. Now he's got to go to another city with the reputation of being a commissioner that doesn't have his guys back." Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a bad scene. So it's like, yeah, it's like as much as I want him to just be like, grab the bull by the horns. <laughs> right. And he kind of did. He's already dis- he's already mm-hmm. let one guy d- go uh, over the protestations of the. And and he's got a hard stance on Herschel, right? If he says, look, uh, if another complaint comes across my desk, he's gone. Like, d- don't don't talk to me about Herschel. I know about Herschel. Let's right. talk about the real problems here that I can't really do anything about. And there's also this little thing about like the state's attorney that we talked about. It's currently being investigated for criminal investig- uh, stuff herself. That's grandstanding over the Freddie. Gar- it's like it's like I, I want to say it's like how do you grandstand over something where a guy dies in police custody? Um, mm-hmm. How how what does that even mean grandstanding? But it, I do think there is something where prosecutors play both sides where like something like this happens and they're like, we're going to, and they like massively overcharge the cops. Like they'll try to get him for first degree murder. And that means something in a court of law. Like you mm-hmm. have to premeditate it. You have to plan. You have to have a, mo- like there's, there's a lot of, le- and they, they know damn well that what the officer did is wrong and heinous and, and murder man, some, some kind of uh wrongful death, but it's not going to meet the legal standard. So then, then it goes before uh, a, a jury, they acquit the officer and then the fucking city burns and the yeah. prosecutor's like, well, I, I mean, fuck, I, I threw the book at him. Yeah. He threw the wrong book at him. You threw the wrong book. Like it's a lot better to put these guys away for ten years on some kind of wrongful death uh, manslaughter than to go for murder one and shit the bed. Yeah, and I kind of feel like some of that's got to be got to be deliberate at some point. Like you know, if you're overcharging as a as a prosecutor, um, I, I mean, because a lot of these people want to make their careers on stuff like this, right? Like if you sure. can get a high profile case, get your name out there as the person who got 
you know, the Freddie Gray uh, murderers convicted on, you know, first degree or something like that can make your career. Whereas like maybe a manslaughter charge doesn't quite stand out as much. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, a lot of perverse incentives in this system. That's a, exactly the word for it. Um, we go next to like a community session where some civil c- civil rights leaders are meeting with the community, doing a symposium here. We're introduced to one Tariq Ture. Uh, you guys got me on Pootie. I didn't get that uh, Detective Hawk was Pootie from The Wire, but you're not. This is a deep wire cut here. Uh, Tariq Ture, played by Nathan E. Corbett, who was Donut. The, the, the little 13-year-old was stealing, stealing uh, cars in season four of The Wire. <laughs> okay. Got his fingers broke by a crooked cop for making him do extra paperwork. Jeez. Uh, it's all has all grown up, and he's he's uh, playing a civil rights leader here. Uh, what'd you make of her interview with... Also, D. Watkins, the host of the uh, We Own the City podcast, uh, one of the head writers of the show, is uh, also one of the guys in the background and panel making a joke about Don't Steal My Books. Yeah. Um, what'd you make of this, this, this scene? Uh, I'm sympathetic to, to both sides of this as much as there are sides in this conversation, but Nicole, you know, going in there and saying, Hey, uh, we, you, but dirty water could put out a fire. Um, and him saying not the fires in this city. Right. I, it, I feel him. It's like, you got to, you got to cut out that cancer, right? You got to do, yeah. you got to get the bad influence out, but also, you're working in a system that's just corrupt in itself. So like you can't, you can't get rid of the system and reestablish it. It's just not going to happen. So you got to work with what you got. Yeah. And there's like, he also makes a comment about the politics is like that. There's a self selecting here that like, you've got uh, you people volunteering to go into a slaughterhouse. Like who, who the fuck does that? And like, what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of dehumanization is that process? Uh, to make you undergo um and, and it then attracts that's people where, who are only there to bet to better themselves benefit themselves based on that corrupt system right right, right. people who see an opportunity in that uh, or people who are attracted to the slaughter <laughs> yeah <laughs> to the bloodshed exactly. and violence yeah um he also mentioned so this is where it starts poking a hole in the davis thing where he's like oh yeah davis says he's open door davis says this but try to get a hold of him i've tried this and that right. now I don't know because like there's probably bigger figures in the city that maybe has got this guy's year and he hasn't been there. Or maybe this guy's got an inflated yeah. sense of his self worth. But since I called twice, I'm like, man, I call my brother twice. He might not answer. <laughs> he <laughs> right, might be busy, right, right. right? So yeah. So I I wonder. I I I, I it's just it's just this information to keep in the back of our mind when we're judging guys like Davis. Um, uh, then we go to one of the standout scenes. Uh, this is the no, I mean, everybody's going to catch, catch this wire casting. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, Dominic Lombardozzi, larger uh, than life. He's Herc yep. all grown up. And now, now he's the fucking union boss. Cause of course he is. Uh, Jesus Christ. This <sighs> yeah. is a frustrating conversation. Oh, is it ever man? But it's one that like, you totally understand. It's, it, it all comes back to like, ideologies and motivations to me because Mm. the thing that I really latched onto that he said in this scene when he's defending, you know, police slowdowns or whatever and and trying to dance around the question of like, has there ever been a situation in which you think police should be fired for misusing their authority essentially? And uh, has it ever happened? Like, could there ever be a moment like that? He says, yes. Has it ever happened? 
then he starts pivoting, right? And he pivots to this, look, we're a labor union and we are here to support our members. And this is the thing. There are so many competing interests here, all working against each other and that causes nothing to change. And they're all doing it by justifying it by saying, I'm just doing my job. Like my function in this system is to support my union members. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job and I'm failing. And giant conflict of interest, right? Like, are you serving, protecting? Exactly. It's it's this broken ideology, this broken, um, just psychology of why you're doing what you're doing. Right. Because the, you, you, burn down the forest by trying to save a tree is essentially what you're doing here. Like I, I don't know, man, this is, this is so frustrating. Cause like, where, where do you begin? Like, you can't tell these people, Hey, don't support your workers. Don't support your union members in quite the way that you are, but you have to like, in order to save the city, you have to fire a couple of these dudes. You have to let them go. And why don't they want that? Because that's that's better for everyone. It's better for the city. It's better for the rest of force. Like who's representing the good cops? You know. But is it? I mean, if you're if you're, I don't know. What what, what is the percentage in, in in keeping twenty four police officers out of a department that has two thousand that have hmm. dozens of complaints? Like why why is it so important? It's 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 it'd be like if uh, there's a guy on a construction job that killed seventeen of his coworkers. And led to like his his work directly led to buildings collapsing and shit and be like, well, yeah. you know, we got him. It's a job. We got to save this job. Uh, well, I mean, this is asking like what's what's wrong with the t- motivation of uh, corporations as well. Like they're profit seeking yeah. machines. Right. This is right. This is union member seeking machinery at work saying we're going to protect our guys. We're going to make the union bigger and stronger at yeah. all costs it, damn damn the consequences right like right. that is our only mission whereas like if you apply this to a capitalistic system it's the the pursuit of profit above all else and we right. see the fallout of that and yet they're not doing their job if they're not seeking the profit they're not doing their job if they're not supporting their union members a hundred percent of the time and it seems like it's like one of those things where there's supposed to be checks and balances but all i'm seeing is checks and no balances because like maybe the ied yes. is supposed to be the balance there but like they're corrupt and they're bad at their job and they're not like because like i think it should be hard to fire somebody sure but if you got your paperwork together if you got everything documented if you got that stuff then it shouldn't be hard it should just be like well here's the thing this is what happened these are the guidelines this is how we broke it this is what and the union should like have a vigorous defense of their employee but at the end of the day He's a shitbird. Um, and, yeah, and the ideology there of just like caring more about this goal that you have over the the people of the city that you're yeah. presumably serving and protecting. Yeah. And these crocodile tears are they're they're crying over the Fourth Amendment. Uh, Jim, in your in, in right. your lifetime, has the Fourth Amendment's uh, been strengthened or weakened in general? Uh, I would say of everything I've seen, it's probably been weakened a bit. So, yeah, this, the Supreme Court's changing their minds all the fucking time. But 99% of the time, it's in your fuck's favor. Right. So, like, how is this? Like, I just, I don't know. These guys are, these guys are jokes. Um, some of the police unions in this country are, 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 are wild. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. some of the heads of their unions, like, you look at, like, stuff like in New York City, uh, where they're, you know, they issue, like, mm-hmm. challenge tokens that, like, commemorate uh particularly terrible beatings and brutality it's 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 fucked up uh but i again i don't know how you get your 
uh, your hands around that tiger's tail. Right. Uh, and then we end up still kind of debriefing one of her coworkers in Washington, D.C., where she's kind of like essentially like, I, I don't know who to believe. This guy seems like this. This guy seems like that. Uh, um it's kind of like a whatever you got the the fact that the new incoming mayor is got the the money in her ear the, the city developers saying oh it's going to bankrupt the city if if we are under this, this consent decree i'm not sure how that is but um we'll probably find out more later uh do we want to move on to detective uh, sean Souter? yeah let's do it so we already talked about this so he meets up with uh, a veteran of the force who's become a house cat uh, used to be plain clothes or running citywide and he just didn't agree with the mission. He goes, I got tired of jumping out on old heads and babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the guy. So this is the ballistics tip he got last episode. He meets with this uh, officer Dixon who decided to do some police work one day, uh, even though his sergeant saying there's no it's stupid to pick up the shell casings. No one even got shot. No one even got killed. What the fuck are you doing? He put it in, and this is going to clear a murder uh, uh, off the streets. Um, and the suitor is so surprised this guy's doing his job, right? That's that's the thing. He can't it, believe that this kid is out there actually doing good police work, proper police and he, work. And you can see a little bit of a virtuous circle going because, like, this, this Dixon is on his post, and he is knowing his neighbors, and he can say to this grandma, yeah. you know me, I'm this, and he's got this nice young uh, detective that comes in and builds a rapport. Like, this this isn't about, like, some gangbangers. They killed a working man, same as me, same as this clean-looking brother that you got, probably your grandson. I was an armed service guy. He's building rapport, having a relationship because... You know, like just grandma saying, like, I have to live here. Yeah. And also, this used to be a nice neighborhood when we and my husband moved in here 30, 40 years ago. And you can see on the inside, it is. It's such a cute oh, yeah. house. It's got For all sure. these, like, really nice architectural details. It's all done up nice and nicely decorated. Uh, the mm-hmm. streets turn into a fucking shithole, but that's because of what the city's done. Uh, and and you contrast bunch- this, this young cop. Uh, to the guy who he was having the conversation with earlier, right? Who's behind the desk, just writing out the rest of his uh, right thirty years so he can get his pension or whatever. Um, it, yeah, that you almost feel like, oh, well, it just hasn't been beat out of this kid yet, right? He's some rookie. He's been on the job for two years or whatever, and he's still doing the c- cleaning up crime scenes, logging bullets that nobody gives a shit about. Whereas this other guy got sick of sick and tired of all the shit he saw and left the force and. It sucks, right? Like, how can you blame a cop for seeing all the stuff that's going on, getting frustrated with no change, and deciding to just ride the bench for the next five years or whatever until they can retire? I like what you said about time, murder. You need, you need those people out on the streets doing the good work, right? Yeah. It's, and I, I like what you said about murder, still murder. Like, you get a sign of drugs and you guys, like, who knows? But, like, you know, like, it's, yeah. it's righteous. If you're putting killers away, like, that's always going to be uh, seen as a righteous thing to do. Especially the way he's doing it, right? He's not out on the street, like, bashing heads and stuff. He's behind doing a desk police putting, putting the pieces together, yeah. And yeah. actually coming up with the evidence that will get people convicted, that kind of stuff. Uh, but on the other hand, he, so he, he jumps, he presses this girl, Ebony, who's got the boyfriend, turns out, uh, the girlfriend of the potential killer. Mm. And she does a 90% good job of, like, uh, not talking to the cops, but she gives her name and she gives her boyfriend's <laughs> name, and that's going to uh-huh. be enough that... 
like so how much of police work is careful police work and how much of it is infringe like hoping people are stupid enough that they don't exercise their rights not to talk to you <laughs> I feel because like I, it's more the this latter, worked usually. out good this worked right, out right. good but he wouldn't have broke it, it took careful police work and this young woman let, being a little loose with their lips and then being yeah. intimidated mm-hmm. by this guy who I like detective Suter, to get this the uh, so like it's you know, I don't know. Like, there seems like there's a lot of coloring outside the lines, no matter what you do. Yeah. Um. So then we we end up with uh, Suter and Dixon. They're proud of their handiwork. They've seen this guy hauled off in the meat wagon. They're going to toss his house, probably find a lot of guns. Their grandma's looking out her porch. Uh, they're making a ride joke about she almost likes you. I have a grim prediction. Hmm. I feel like this grandma's going to get shot and maybe Ebony, too. Yeah, could be. And Detective Suter is going to have the light go out in his eyes. Yeah. And it breaks my heart because he <laughs> I goes. Know, we... <laughs> I mean, I know Simon. I've seen it happen. Yeah. I've seen I've seen civilians at Squawk get murdered in Baltimore before 20 years ago. And I'm really afraid this is going to happen again. I'm just wondering how long is it going to take all the rest of the, the season uh, or the series, the next three episodes for him to extinguish that light or is it going out next episode because like there, there's a big you know question mark at the end of this episode about Suter uh, we'll see how it goes well, this, well, okay I got I got a take on that um, but okay. I because I, you know that Shropshire is going to be able to figure out like with his contacts going to find out like how all this case was broken I would assume but I don't so. know like I said Suter it's like he goes home to his wife at 3 a.m. he's got this very cute house he's like I don't know it seems like he's uh, being able to provide for his family of five she's so happy for him because he's so happy cute. he's so excited yeah. about like good cops I'm doing pro- good police work it's you, very you lowered cute. the murder rate in this shit in, the, in this city uh, I love this scene yeah but it's gonna break your heart later I guarantee <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee Uh, I hope Detective Marlowe beats the odds, Uh, which brings us to Shitbird in Chief, Mm. Uh, a manufactured one. And we get to see continue to see the decline of here. Wayne Jenkins. He is made plain clothes by 2005. He's serving a search and Caesar. Now, get a load of this bust because this is the prototypical police bust. This is them keeping us safe. This is a coffee table with if I'm being generous, four or five ounces of weed. Uh, a couple ounces, a couple of grams of coke or maybe heroin and one handgun with a visibly rusted barrel mm. that hasn't been used to kill nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is this is the the hero work they're doing, right? This is what the war of drugs has got these guys doing. They're not solid. This isn't a murder. This isn't a rape. This isn't a robbery. Uh, like I said, you have your opinion on what drugs are doing, but it's not the thing that's killing the city. And yet, this is stuff that the police are getting rewarded for. This is like a microcosm of what's all wrong. Um, right. We then see, like, Wayne wants to go home, help his wife over some issue. His sergeant says he can't. They got to get stuff in the evidence collection room. These plainclothes guys get to jump to the front of the line. Seems like it's antagonizing, again, the cops, the patrol cops. The, you know, I don't know if these guys are good guys, bad guys, but there's, like, an internal antagonism. Like, everyone seems like they hate each other. Yeah. Um, we see later that same year, him and his partner are driving around ordering people again to get off the front porch of their own fucking home and back into their houses. I keep on wondering, like, yeah. what if, what if Wayne, what if that happened to Wayne? 
<laughs> if he's sitting on his He'd front porch drinking a beer, yeah. he absolutely yeah. fucking would go ballistic. Like, have you ever? Like, the funniest thing ever is if you see like an undercover cop from another agency getting pulled over by two cops from a different agency that don't mm-hmm. know, and they get into a no fuck you, you put your gun down, no fuck you, you show me badge, and it's like it's a miracle no one gets killed. Like, uh-huh. goddamn. Um, so he. He gets so so when these guys, these men again on their own property don't instantly comply with his insane plan, uh, they whip it around and he just beats the shit out of this dude. Yeah. Next day he gets pulled in his office and they're playing like you're going to lose your job, Wayne. And Wayne is actually at this stage in his career. He's only been doing this three years. He's actually terrified that he's overstepped his bounds. This is the thing, man. I and it's a joke. Like, this scene is a standout to me because because of the the setup and and the resolution of it like uh the setup is he's being called into a meeting and they take it very seriously telling me he could lose his job for that yeah that beating that he gave that guy and then they reveal oh it's all a joke because these guys are all in on it and they're gonna they got it they got his back nothing's gonna come of it and then wayne's like you guys really had me scared I, I didn't think anything of the thing you know i i got sloppy i didn't think anything of it i wrote up a shitty report and i'm like dude why are you scared if you if you didn't think anything of it why why are you worried in this moment is it because maybe you know you've done things that you shouldn't have done that were very wrong and those chickens you think are coming home to roost finally i think there's multiple levels of fucked up on this i think that this is so routine that he literally didn't think like he's actually shocked that this is generating a complaint Yeah. And also like he but he also hasn't been like and he has gotten sloppy because cops and 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 just to reinforce the lesson, his sergeant says, look, man, what is this police report? You don't lead like you got to lead with how afraid you were. I got to find out about this this thrown bottle from your partner. And we saw the scene where the guy literally just not get shot by these crazy assholes, just drops the bottle at his side Uh to put his hands up, which. Herschel goes on or not Herschel Jenkins goes on and he just like fucking broken bottles in Baltimore just must be how they paved the streets right. because like they, <laughs> right. there's a scene where J- Jenkins just smashes one underground because fuck throwing it away right as he gets um, out of his car because he just got out of his car and he had two in his hands one open that he was finishing yeah 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 um so anyway, there's then there's so then so, so the 2007 we've we've gone down a little bit down the lane her uh wayne has learned how to brutalize people but it doesn't seem like he's learned how to go in their pockets yet because he shows up at a barbecue an impromptu barbecue Herschel's already there they got patron uh did, do you think he actually knew how to pronounce per- no. patron i don't Not think so chance. either no i don't think so either because he looked really like you know fucking wounded and uh right and they're making fun of him like how you been on plain clothes citywide plain clothes and you haven't figured out how to get money yet so he's a bad cop, but he's not a corrupt one yet. Uh-huh. He's about to be. Uh, he shows up at a, I, I don't, I, I, this, so this guy's name's Don Step. I, first of all, I thought like, cause like the way that um, Herschel talks to him or not Herschel, God damn it. Jenkins talks to him. I thought it was the guy who got fired that L- Ludemeyer or whatever. Um, but this is the, the timeline doesn't work out. I don't know what this guy's deal is. Maybe he's a cop that didn't make it. Uh, maybe he's an old childhood friend, but somehow Jenkins has helped him get a bail bonds license and to pay him back. He's going to take him to an all expenses paid trip to the strip club, which I got to say, mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't been in a strip club. I didn't know they had showers. 
That's this is a fancy strip. They got they got a they got a they got a. You didn't see this on stage shower? There's I a lady the shower. taking. There's a lady taking a full soap and suds shower as as a as a, oh. as a sexy shower in the background. Right. Man, I, I didn't Blue. know that. I know these stages were plumbed. Uh, right. I, I assume that's that was reserved for Vegas, but apparently Baltimore. Baltimore's I'm missing out, them. man. You get you yeah. go to the best strip club in Baltimore, and it's it's full on nudity, and they get wet and wild with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Also, Jim is I, I I don't know is there sex in a VIP room? I've I've always heard there's not, but I they're strongly there implying, was. yeah, strongly implying for two hundred fifty dollars a bottle service plus tip, you get sex in a VIP room. Yep. I, I, what what else have I been lied to in my life? <laughs> um. So we go later in the year two thousand seven. I think so. I think you and I are going to have a, mis- a difference of agree- of opinion on how this scene goes. This is Suter before he's a detective, I think just making plain clothes like he's celebrating, you know, graduating from patrolman to plain clothes officer with Jenkins and with is Jenkins. OK, yeah, this is not after like this. This the him being murder police happens like a deck, like like uh, eight years oh. after this scene. Interesting. All right. Yeah. And, and Jenkins is with his partner sizing him up about whether they can trust him, quote unquote. Gotcha, and the guy his eyes. I've heard rumors, but it's it's a it's an inverse perversion of what you think they're talking about. Like I've heard rumors he's a dirty cop. I've heard rumors he's a he's a clean cop. Yeah. Okay. And then so and, there is no question mark about him. We know we see him on homicide. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to see this like first day in plain clothes where he goes to this uh, car wash uh, that's going to be a gold mine. And Jenkins goes in there and without trying to do any searching himself, just starts blowing this guy's stuff up, getting an altercation. Meanwhile, Souter, who's doing actual police work, has detected that there's something strange about a table. And this actually is this is this is not a bullshit grab. This is submachine guns, silencers, multiple weapons, a huge brick of uh, of drugs, $50,000 of cash. Mm -hmm. And Jenkins explains to him, hey. The city's going to get the boat and the guns and the drugs and 5,000 of this cash. But you know what? We came in here. We could have gotten our heads blown off. We could have gone home. My, my wife, I could have, my, my wife and daughter might have gotten a medal and a fuck you from the city. We got to take care of ourselves. Here's your share. And they leave it. I don't know why, because it's like with the timeline and everything, they leave it as a kind of a cliffhanger about maybe it's how to suit or handle this. Because that's the other interesting yeah. thing. Why do you think good cops in these systems don't actually go to their superiors about like Jenkins tried to give me $5,000? I mean, it's a tempting offer, right? I mean, and who are they hurting? It's 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 very easy, I think, to to do this kind of thing. Very easy. I I don't think there are that many people out there who are actually above it, Uh, especially if you. Are risking your life on a daily basis, and if basis. no one, if there's no repercussions coming, but but why Especially when the new, when the no new squeaky guy who's who believes in the mission does good police work, why doesn't he blow the whistle? Uh, that's a damn fine question. Um, some people have tried to, right? Like the guy, the one with the big mouth from last episode, and the got one that sent got over to Leakin Park. Leakin Park. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some some people do, but uh, I like I said, I, I think it's a very tempting offer, and even if you don't accept the offer. I think there's a lot of like camaraderie in those jobs. Like, yeah, you're risking your lives together. That's it, it's you know, a lot this, like the military, right? You have each other's backs. Right. 
and I think there's another nuance. I I, uh, I talked to this police officer, I think former police officer on this political panel I did back when I was trying this politics podcast, uh, name of uh, ContraPoint. Contrapo- counterpoints, not contrapoints. That's the trans woman that lives in Baltimore. This guy lives in <laughs> okay. Florida. But we're talking about police brutality and the Black Lives Matter protests was what was happening. And, you know, he said that he's a good cop, blah, blah, blah. And we challenged him and like, you know, well, how does this go on? He goes, well, let me tell you. A lot of these, sh- the shittiest of the cops are the warriors. You know, they talk about the yeah. guys that are get off. Like, if, if you are officer in distress, which are the cops are going to be like, man, fuck that. I want to get home to my wife and kids. And which are the ones are going to be woo woo doing 110 miles an hour rolling out with their shotguns and they're, and they're right. And, and like saving your ass. Mm-hmm. They tend to be the same cops. The brutal, crooked, corrupt ones are the first. And maybe it's intentional because they're like, if I'm going to be shit at my job, I want to make sure that everybody knows that I've got their back. Kind of like Jenkins flying in, yeah. throwing punches without even knowing, like being the first, like, <laughs> right. like th- that, that those, those. And, and if you get a reputation of not having these guys backs, you go to officer in distress. Maybe nobody comes. Maybe they don't come to 10, 15 minutes and you're dead. Yeah. And again, I, I, I. I, I think that the whole the, the the cops being in danger is is way overblown in this country. It's like they they act like they're in a war zone and they're like in the 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 most dangerous job in the world when they're not even in I think the top twenty five dangerous professions in America. The mm-hmm. first twenty four don't carry guns and shoot at people. Um, but there is that perception that not yeah. only will you get shit on by your superiors because they don't care and you're going to be a gadfly and you're going to be reassigned to some shit detail. But yeah, if you're in a dangerous profession and if you're in help, they're just not going to help you. And they're the ones that be the, the, the inclined to do it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Like, like I said, it's uh, it, it makes fucked up sense. Yeah. It, yeah, totally. And that's why you want to hire, you know, the, the best and the brightest, the best. Right. You want and the you best. want the brass to back those guys up yeah. when they yeah. when they go and cooperate the IAD, they should be held up as the heroes keeping the keeping the barrel but, of apples but, clean instead of being yeah. the people that like, you know, but, you want to like, look the other way. Like like the attorneys we talked about earlier, right, who are getting these convictions, these high profile things trying to make careers. The guys who are making captains and commissioners and shit are probably the same guys who are ripping and rolling on people like because they're the, the ones because they the get money noticed, and getting, right? Yeah, like, and yeah. they get the job done, and they get the promotions to gun trace task force, and then next while thing you the know, they're running, police, the, they're steering the ship. Yeah, while the murder police are driving beaters that they're having to walk thirty minutes to get and find, and yeah, no, it's exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's why the murder clearance rates below fifty percent in this country. <laughs> You realize wow. that it's a no, I didn't. I mean, there's a lot of reasons beyond, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the it's I think if you or I killed somebody, it'd be more than a flip of a coin. But yeah. uh, when you're talking about this, these drug wars, um, mm-hmm. a lot of anonymous bodies getting dropped out there. I hope the grandma's safe and I hope uh, Ebony's safe. I don't think there will be. Uh, if I'm calling my shots, I'm saying the penultimate episode is going to be a real fucking ball kicker for Detective Suter and us as the audience. But uh, maybe I'm Probably wrong. Probably right. Maybe maybe Baltimore is going to be a kinder, gentler place than, than I'm fearing. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we've, we've got the, we got, we got a, we're up against a time limit today. Uh, I've got a little bit of feedback. I got two pieces of feedback. It wasn't a bunch. So I'm going to save that for next week when we'll have a little bit more time to discuss it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation to the extent that you can enjoy this goddamn show. 
uh, and right. uh, and the podcast based on it. Uh, if you would like to talk about anything and have new to Baltimore policing in general or this show, drop us a line at corners at baldmove.com. Until next week, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.